so encouraging to be a part of prayer night this past week where we were able to share our request, uh, pray for each other, praise God for the good things that are happening. And if you were not able to be a part of that, or you don't go to the bridge because you live far away, but you have things that you would like prayed for, please send them to me, matt at bridgecommunitychurch.net. We would love to be praying for you. Today, we are going to dive right into the fourth part of our sermon series on Sabbath rest. And for me, I'm particularly excited about this message because It is one that really surprised me as I began reading through this. And uh, I'll just go ahead and reveal kind of why it surprised me. The Sabbath for me in my tradition growing up and many of the voices that I heard, the Sabbath was very restricting. Uh, It was more about what you don't do than why it was actually given. And as I read this passage and learned and uh, grew in this passage, it's the Sabbath, the perspective of why the Sabbath is here is very liberating. It's not meant to be restrictive. It's meant to be liberating. And I was just extremely encouraged by that. And I hope by the end of it, you'll see why it's so liberating. So if you will, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. If you have your Bible with you today, we're going to look at the Sabbath through the lens of the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Okay, so Sabbath rest is tied back into creation. Sabbath rest is tied back into God's example of rest and his blessing of a period of time meant for rest. And we've already looked at much of that, right? We, we started out in creation. And even in this passage, there's many of the themes that we've already discussed, that God made it holy, he set it apart, he blessed it, that God rested, that he invited us to rest uh, in the passage about the manna, he invited people into that rest. And so we've, we've seen a lot of this. And so what I want to do this morning, instead of zooming in on this passage, these particular verses, as I want to zoom out and see the context that these verses are within. Um, Because I think when you see the context, it's going to add another layer to your perspective and your idea about Sabbath. The Sabbath is what we call the fourth commandment. Um, So I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but it is a part of a larger set of commandments. It's part of the Ten Commandments. You might be like, Matt, yes, we understand that. But the reason why I say that is because a lot of times when we study the commandments, or really when we study anything in Scripture, we have a tendency to to take what we're studying, pull it out of the context that it's in, and just kind of look at it itself. So, for example, if we were studying Thou Shalt Not Steal, we take that out of the Ten Commandments, and then we discuss all the different layers of, you know, what is stealing, why shouldn't we steal, and we begin to ask questions like that. But I believe that God and the Hebrew writer put this in here in this context for a particular reason. And uh, when we study uh, the Sabbath command or really anything, we we want to keep it in context so that we can have a a more complete picture of what the writer is trying to say. So I would like us to back up and go to Exodus chapter 20, so just earlier in the passage, starting in verse 1. And I want you to pay attention to the details that the writer gives you. In other words, I want you to ask the question, what helps add perspective to Sabbath rest? 
I already know it's about creation. I already know it's about the whole, it's holy. It's set apart. I already know it's blessed. But what is another layer that I can add to go, okay, now I understand Sabbath rest better. So Exodus 20 verses one through three, just listen and kind of answer that question in your head. It says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So this is extremely important. Before we have any command, there's a very important introduction. And who is this God? Who's this God giving the commandments? It's Yahweh. That's literally what the Lord means. Yahweh, the one who brought you out of Egypt, the one who brought you out of slavery. So at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, at the, at the outset of the Sabbath command, we, re- we understand that he's the God of the Exodus. To understand the Ten Commandments, which, which includes the Sabbath, there's a connection to the Exodus story that we have to see and understand. Um, because Israel's future is tied into the story of Israel's past. To truly fulfill their future potential, they must remember what God has rescued them from. Uh, and, and, and we cannot overlook this. We, we don't want to just go, okay, we know what Sabbath is. We need to see, okay, well, where, what is the, tra- the trajectory that God is taking them on? If he's sending them somewhere in the future, this is my vision for how a community should be. I, we, we need to look back and go, this is, this is what he's rescuing them from. This is not the community we need to be. And we need to see the trajectory of how he's changed them and shaped them in that direction. So the God who modeled rest at creation is also the one who frees and he's different and distinct from all the other gods that the people served in Egypt, that they were under, that legitimized Egypt's oppression of the people. God is a, is a liberating God, not an oppressing God. So I, I want to make this connection a little stronger for you, um, because I, I don't want you to think that I'm just trying to connect something that's not there. So I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 5. The Ten Commandments are listed in two places with slightly different emphasis in both, right? So in Deuteronomy, it's kind of the farewell speech for Moses. He's going to die in a few weeks. So he gathers all the people of Israel together and he gives this big speech. And in the speech, he also recounts the Ten Commandments. Um, But with, like I said, a slightly different emphasis on each of the commandments. So he's not trying to say them word by word. He's trying to tell them and then give some commentary on them as well. And what I want you to see is that the Sabbath command that starts in verse 12, we're only going to read verse 15, um, it fits right along with the introduction in Exodus about the commandments, okay? You're, you're going to hear why it fits together. Deuteronomy 5.15, remember, this is about the Sabbath. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So in other words, the Sabbath rest is important and necessary because of their previous experience in Egypt. Again, they're intimately connected. Their their new life and service to God is a radical departure from their old life as servants to the gods of Egypt. Um, So I think it's important to ask, okay, if, if there's a connection between the Sabbath command and their life in Egypt, and, and the, the future of the people of God versus the past of the people of God, what had life been like under Pharaoh, and how does that help us better appreciate Sabbath rest? So that's what I want us to look at um, for, for the majority of our time today, okay? What was life like under Pharaoh? Remember, Joseph had been sold into slavery. You have uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph was Jacob's son. Um, he doesn't get along with his brothers. His brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt. Through a series of circumstances, he ends up as the second-hand man un- only under Pharaoh in Egypt, which is 
a pretty amazing meteoric rise for someone who was sold into slavery. Um, he um, eventually saves the, the known world, or at least the world in that area, from a famine at that time. His brothers and his father end up moving into Egypt once they know that it's him, uh, and they all settle there. They're all in Egypt. Joseph dies, Jacob dies, Pharaoh dies, and uh, the, the Israelites, that's who the Jacob's family is known as, the Israelites, they grow in number. And the new Pharaoh, he doesn't remember. Many years go by, he does not remember who Joseph is. He doesn't remember um, Joseph saving his country from famine. He doesn't remember what the previous Pharaohs have promised Joseph's family. All he knows is that there's a group of people that don't, um, that are not from our heritage, that are numerous in our land. And before they can take power, before they can seize control, they're a threat to us. We're going to oppress them. And so he makes them, uh, he puts them into bondage. He makes them slaves. Um, so they were put to work, and, and think about what they were put to work particularly to do. If you go back into the story and you look, what were the Israelites doing? They were making bricks, but they weren't making bricks for improvements for the people. They weren't making bricks to, you know, make an aqueduct, to bring water into the city, or, you know, to, to build houses for those who don't have houses or anything like that. They were making bricks to build more store cities to hold more of Pharaoh's wealth and power in the form of grain. So in other words, the Pharaoh puts these people into bondage. Uh, they're making bricks so that he can might have more. Okay, That's the situation that the people of Israel are in. And Moses and Aaron come before him to ask the people's release. And Exodus 5 becomes a little window into the life of the Israelites, um, into the life that they were saved from, um, that God wants them to remember as he begins to bring them into a life that he wants them to have. So look at how Pharaoh responds to Moses and Aaron. If, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. When they, tell, when they tell Pharaoh, the Lord wants you to let his people go, look at how Pharaoh responds. This is Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, think back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Think back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And he says, I am the Lord, your God. God had responded emphatically to Pharaoh's question. Pharaoh had asked, who is the Lord? God had emphatically responded and said, I'm Yahweh. I'm the one who's going to free my people. Um, but back in Egypt, Pharaoh worked the people to exhaustion. There, there's a, a relentless repetition in chapter 5 about the people's labor. It, it's meant to be, um, this, this narrative technique is meant to kind of overwhelm you just as the people were overwhelmed by the burdens, okay? So I'm going to read through some of these verses. We're going to start in chapter 5, verse 4. I'm not going to read all the verses, but I'm just going to hit the highlights. And I just want you to get, it's going to be a lot of verses, but I want you to kind of feel the relentless uh, just kind of rhythm of how the people were burdened, all right? Um, so Exodus chapter 5, verse 4, just see how it's emphasized, okay? So in verse 4, Pharaoh says, Why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. So they're burdened. Verse 5, he again says, The people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. He doesn't want any rest for the people. Verses 7 and 8, Pharaoh tells the taskmasters who are over the people of Israel, he says, Don't give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you still impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. In other words, Pharaoh is saying, make it harder. Um, they, they had a quota of bricks that they were to make, and he was providing resources for them to make them at first. 
But now he's saying, and I'm not even going to give you the resources. You've got to go find the resources. Then you have to make the bricks, but your quota is not reduced. So in other words, he's making their labor harder and harder. Verse 9. He says, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. In other words, give them no breaks. Don't give them a chance to question what they're doing. Um, Make it so relentless that they're stuck within the system. Verse 10 and 11. I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. Verse 13. Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. Notice that their daily task is burdensome as opposed to when we talked about the manna that God provided daily for them. Verse 14, why have you not done all of your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Verse 16, no straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. The Israelites are crying out, this isn't fair. We're we're stuck in a system where we are constantly being um, put to work, and we're being abused, and we we can't keep this up. This is not sustainable. Verse 17 and 18, his response, uh, you are idle. The, the word is lazy. You are, you are idle, You're lazy. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now, work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. Again, Pharaoh's relentless. Verse 19, last one. You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. I hope you're getting the idea. Pharaoh demands more and more from them. There's, there's no time for rest. There's no time for relief. It's a heavy burden. And so think about the restlessness within that society that occurs from the bottom up. The laborers, the Israelites, they're first forced to work more. Um, fulfill your quota. Don't be lazy. Go and get the resources yourselves. Like Think about how exhausting that lifestyle would be. There's no time for rest. Um, but then as you work your way up, the taskmasters who are over the laborers, they're even um, being told, don't let up. If those under you don't hit their quota, you're in trouble too. So in other words, the taskmasters, they have a bunch of anxiety because they need to harass the Israelites, stay on top of them. Um, and then if you even go to the top of that society, Pharaoh, even in the seat of power, think about how restless his life is. He's clearly anxious about what everyone else was doing or not doing. He's you, you, you can sense his stress as he tries to maintain his control. You can sense his stress as he tries to store up security for the future. Even the one at the very top doesn't have rest. It's an unsustainable system. Um, and it's within this backdrop that God enters in, rescues his people, and declares himself uh, and the community that he wants to create as different. Um, So the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath rest, creation, and rescue from Egypt, they're all intimately connected. And and unless you connect those dots, you're going to miss the full picture of what Sabbath rest is supposed to be about. Um, In fact, I want you to look at how important the Sabbath is within the Ten Commandments themselves. So the the fourth commandment, you know, you would think the the fifth or sixth commandment would kind of be the bridge that connects them all together, but really it's the fourth. The, The fourth commandment is what connects the whole uh, and, and it's essential to the whole part. It kind of it kind of brings them together. Um, so take out your Bible and, and look back in Exodus 20 and just look at how the passage is structured and, and what commandment receives the most words. If, if you're looking and you're reading, it, it, there's, there's a couple of commandments that have a lot of words, but the Sabbath sticks out. The Sabbath command has the most words from God. Who would have thought that the Sabbath rest would be such an important part of God's vision for his people? That God would spend so much time talking about why people need to have regular rhythms of rest in their lives. That God would spend so much time saying, this is an essential part of the community that I'm forming. This is an essential part of the new humanity. This is an essential part of the people that I want to be my people. Um, 
And so um, look at how it's the bridge that unites the other nine commandments. Um, On the one hand, if you look at the first three commandments, they're about how people relate to God. Um, The fourth commandment looks back to the first three commandments and and the God who rests. So this is the God that we're serving. This is the God who who now uh, is the one that we look to. Uh, But then on the other hand, it leads us toward the other commandments that are about neighbor love. So as we participate in uh, the Sabbath, we're participating not only in the divine rest as we look backwards toward who God is in the first three, but we're also in turn living at rest with one another, right? Do you see how how Sabbath connects both? We're we're resting just like God rested, and, and we're serving Him and enjoying Him, And then we're also at rest with our neighbor. We're not in contention. We're not anxious. We're not trying to overpower them or be better than them or have more than them. Neighbor love. Um, So unlike in Pharaoh's society, people are not commodities to be used and neither is God. Right? Like, isn't that the kind of life that we want? Where people are not commodities to be used. And we'd say, no, we don't use people as commodities, but we do these days, right? We're always trying to measure up. We're always trying to get more. We're always trying to get an edge and people become an end to a means a lot of times, and so does God. And that happened in Israel. That's why the second commandment is so important. Don't make God an idol. Um, he's not a commodity either. Um, in other words, don't attempt to control him and make him work for you. And, and that's exactly what the people of Israel did, right? Like, think about the golden calf. What was the point of the golden calf? Um, they, God had just rescued them from Egypt, and they knew that. And they were like, God, thank you for rescuing us from Egypt. You're great, but uh, you're not working the way that we want you to work. And so you're, you're, not, you're not operating uh, the way that I think my worldview says that God should operate. And so we want to make something that we can control. We want to make something that will work for us. And that was the point of the golden calf. We want to worship when we want to worship, and we want to be able to do what we want to do when we're not worshiping, right? Um, and so they made God into a commodity. Um, but the Sabbath rest says, you know, God is not a commodity, and people are not, not a commodity. We, we rest as God modeled rest, and we our rest with our neighbors. So Sabbath rest allows us to trust and enjoy the God of the Exodus. And it's an intentional and meaningful stop that allows us to build relationships and community with our neighbors. Um, And and I think that's extremely important. Um, We were able to build a community in a way that honors God and uplifts his image bearers. Um, That's just, that's a different version of the Sabbath than I've ever heard. Uh, And think about this. It was a distinctive mark of his people then and, and to some degree, it, the, the idea of rest is a, is a distinctive mark of his people now. It, it's an active, visible step of faith. So as I study this, I couldn't help but think of the choice that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. So right after warning against the temptation to lay up treasures on earth, um, hello, Pharaoh, you know, if, if God is saying, don't lay up treasures on earth, that's exactly what Pharaoh is doing. Make more bricks so I can build storage cities so that I can consolidate all my wealth and power. Um, but man, don't we do this? Don't we just build more stuff so we can have more stuff and consolidate our wealth and our power? Um, he says, you need to guard against the temptation to lay up treasure on earth. Don't lighten that statement. Let that have an edge to it. He says in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then this, you can't get around the statement. You cannot serve both God and and money. That's essentially an updated version of the choice given to the people during the Ten Commandments. If you choose to serve money, then money will be a pharaoh to you. If you choose to serve money, then then you are going to be enslaved to it. You are going to be burdened, 
And it's always going to be asking you for more. There's always going to be something left to desire. There's always going to be something left to be done. There's always going to be an anxiousness that gnaws at you because it's going to tell you you're not enough, you don't have enough, or that you haven't done enough. When money is your God, then you're putting yourself back under Pharaoh. It's no wonder that Jesus follows these very words by warning against anxiousness. How much anxiousness have we burdened ourselves by because we've chosen to go back to Egypt and follow the burdens of Pharaoh, follow the burdens of, uh, of trying to attain more, trying to be more, trying to gather, 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 and not enjoying the rest of Yahweh. Um, the world, guys, the, it creates a restlessness inside of us that always wants one more. Um, you, you may not think that you're a part of that, but I mean, we're all a part of it to some degree. We always want one more, right? And, and it's different for, for all of us. It's like the things that I'm about to list, it's, it's not that you want all of these one more, but we, we always want one more of something. So one more car, one more phone, or, or at least an upgraded one, right? We, we, we can't have, you know, when the, when the new iPhone comes out, we become discontent with the one that we had, although it was the most amazing thing that we'd ever seen three or four years ago. Um, one more friend, one more promotion, one more room in a house. How many times do we think our house is too small? Um, one more TV, one more gaming system, one more, and you can fill in the blank. It's, it's insatiable, and it's devouring, and it's dehumanizing. The, the message that the world sells you is that you are subhuman. You're not complete unless you have our product, or you've achieved this promotion, or you have this title. You're not sufficient. Um, and so we work, and we work, and we work, that we might continue to reach that proverbial carrot on a stick. Um, and, and the idea is that we're always hoping that the next thing will satisfy. If I can just get that next thing, if I can have that, then I'll be satisfied. If I can have this, I'll be satisfied. But there's always something that leaves us thirsting for more. Um, and in contrast to that, the God of the, the God who rescued his people out of Egypt, the liberating God, he says, stop. Stop. Trust me. Enjoy me. Rest with me. You are not a slave to this world. And even more beautifully, he, he tells us, rest with me and then invite others into my rest. So enjoying Sabbath rest, is a, is a, it's really a radical countercultural testimony of the life that people can have by knowing the Father through Jesus. Uh, when, when we can experience rest on a weekly basis, when we can experience rest, and that's when we have a lifestyle of work and rest that, that works together, that's not at odds with the way that God created us, it's a testimony to the world. Um, it's a witness to the world that their identity doesn't have to be in what they produce and what they attain, right? Like, that, that's, a, that's an easy way to begin sharing your faith. You don't have to be identified by how much you have. You don't have to be identified by how hard you work. You don't have to be identified by fill in the blank. Um, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be emotionally and physically worn down. Uh, there's, there's freedom and there's rest and there's life in knowing the Creator God who model rest for us and invites us into His rest. That's that's good news. That's part of the good news. Part of knowing Jesus is having that rest, not just on a week-by-week -week basis, but on a day-by-day -day basis. That we're not a part of that world system anymore, or at least we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be trying to fit ourselves back into the Egypt system. Um, there's another way, the way of Yahweh, the way of His Son, Jesus, um, where He says, you cannot serve both God and money. 
We have to be careful with who we're serving. Our, our new life in service to God is a radical departure from our old life to the gods that we were serving in the past. Um, we are not meant to be little pharaohs, guys. We're meant to be made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. But we, we disregard that image when we try to become little pharaohs. Um, and I pray that God will help us choose wisely. I pray that God will help us see that there's a better way. Um, and that as we choose who we will serve, we will create pockets of life that draw others into knowing that rest as well. Um, that is my prayer for us as uh, new creations in Christ, that the way that we live, the way, the way that we value God above the way we value the world and its attractiveness and its, its constant pursuit of more and more and more, it brings rest and joy, knowing that Christ has done everything that we ever need, knowing that Christ is what we need in every single situation that we might encounter, um, that we can invite people into rest, that we can invite people into a freedom and a liberation um, that Sabbath rest gives us. And to me, that's a beautiful message. That's, that's something that I never knew was a part of the Sabbath. That's something that had never occurred to me until I began studying this over the last few weeks. The Sabbath is beautiful, guys. The Sabbath rest um, is truly something that, that should be a, a, a very flourishing and bountiful part of our lives. That should help us realize that we don't have to always do more, be more, have more, that our identity is found in Him. Um, and I, I hope that we can share that kind of message with the world. I hope that we can enjoy that message and that we can bring that kind of good news to people all around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your message about Sabbath rest. And God, I pray that if, if anything was unclear, that people would go back and read the text themselves to see how you liberated your people, that as you called them into living a different way, into living the way that you created them to live, that you were also calling them away from the life that they had lived in the past. And Father, it's so easy to get sucked into the world system. It's so easy to, to become people who want to go back to Egypt. I know there's so many times where we read the, the, the narratives of the people in the wilderness, and they're all the time asking, you know, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt, and we make fun of them, and we say, why would you want to do that? But we do it ourselves. God, help us to not trust the gods of Pharaoh. Help us to trust you. Help us make a clear choice that we do not serve money. We do not serve the gods of more and more and more, but we serve the God who created and rested. Lord, help us to enjoy you. Help us to know the, the blessings of our salvation. Help us to see that your way of life is better than anything that the world can offer us. God, we give you all praise and honor and glory. You are deserving of everything. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Have a great week and may you enjoy the Sabbath rest that God desires for you.